Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. So 2 Peter 1 verse 3, and it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So his divine power. Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So everything we need to be holy, everything we need to be godly is given us through his divine power. Through our knowledge of him. So according to our knowledge of Jesus will be the amount of divine power that will come upon us to cause us to live godly and holy lives. So I'll say it again. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, through these powers that he's given us to live godly, holy lives through the knowledge of Jesus. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, through those promises, which he's given us, which is our salvation, which has been given to us, through those promises, we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we must, through these precious promises that are in the, made through the Bible, and I'm going to be reading them out to you today, we may be able to participate in the divine nature that is who we are meant to be in Christ. New creatures in Christ, holy creatures, born again in Jesus. We can participate in that divine nature and escape, by participating in it, we may be able to escape the corruption in the world, which is caused by evil and sin. Now, I want to just bring to mind that participation is something we can not do, isn't it? If someone's got an activity going on and they say, hey, do you want to come and participate? And you go, nah, that's right. I'll stay out of that one. So they do their activity, but we don't participate in it. So I believe that there are many Christians out there not participating in the divine nature. They're participating in their sin nature, but they're not participating in the divine nature. And I believe that because I see it with my own eyes. I also believe it because the Bible says that that is so. And we're going to have a look at that. There are two kinds of natures in mankind today. Two kinds. One is the corrupted nature, the one all men inherit, which is our sin nature, our worldly nature, our fleshly nature. That nature we inherit, we get, we receive it on birth. You know, thank you, Adam, for that, and Eve. (laughs) 
but we receive that sin nature, and that is the, the nature that we all share in. However, the divine nature is the one we take on when we are born again in Christ and become new creatures. So we have to take on that divine nature. It's something that we, as the Bible talks about, putting it on. And I've got the scriptures, and I just want to run through those as well. But the corrupted nature is one we can continue to live in even though we have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. Who knows that? Who knows that we can live on and on and on with our corrupted nature and not participate in our divine nature at all? Not go near that divine nature that was set up by Jesus Christ through his word, through the, the uh, through the precious promises he gave us, through the example that he set for us. We can participate, uh, we spend all our time participating in the worldly sinful nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve, but not participate in the divine nature that we've been given when Jesus died on the cross for us. The divine nature is one we willfully adopt. It must be a willful decision. We must put it on. Too many Christians out there believe that they uh, vicariously, is the word they use, take on a divine nature. That you just get given it and you just walk in it and you don't have to try to live a holy life. You just will. But that's it's not even in the scriptures because the scriptures are always encouraging us. The, the scriptures exhort us to be holy. Always telling us to be holy and telling us telling Christians, because the letters are all written to Christian churches, telling us the consequences of not living holy lives. Always consequences. If you continue, continue to live by the sinful nature, you will die, Paul would say to the church. So we can't live by that sin nature anymore. In Ephesians 5.18, it says this, it says, do not get drunk on wine. Isn't that interesting? Paul is pulling up a sin. Now, if we just had become holy by just accepting Jesus, then why would Paul even bother saying, don't get drunk on wine? Because he's got to tell us the sinful things that we shouldn't do. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And then he said this, instead be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, we must choose to be filled with the Spirit. In the morning when you get up, say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I prayed over uh, my kids before they go off in their mornings. I, I always pray, fill them with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Colossians 3.12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Now Paul's telling us what we should do. He should, we should clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. That's sort of like participate in that divine nature. So it says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Why is that important? Because if we don't forgive someone, then we can't be forgiven. So we lose our salvation just because we hold unforgiveness in our heart. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you, it says. And over all these virtues, put on love. Put it on. You know, people say, oh, he's just putting that on. He's not really someone that loves you. Well, you know, if you put it on long enough, I believe we will become lovers of people. If we put it on, we have to actually put it on. You've got to deliberately get up and say, I'm going to love today. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to love this person. 
even though they're seemingly unlovable, can I love them? It's tough because it's so easy to forget that sort of stuff. It's so easy to just, you know, go off on your day and, oh, there's that guy I don't like, so I won't talk to him. And there's that guy, he's a bit dodgy, I'll stay this, just go over to this guy that I know I'm comfortable with. And it's easy to get into that sort of a groove. We all do it. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Again, he's telling us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it. Let it rule. Let that peace rule. You know, when your life, when you wake up in the morning and, and things are going crazy all around you, especially, you know, dads with little children and, you know, I know what it's like, you know, the kids are going all over the place and the mum's getting stressed and everything else. You've got to let peace, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. You know what I mean? You've got to just say, no, 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 I'm just going to be calm in the spirit. I have to say that all the time because I don't do that. I'm a breaker of that. I let the peace depart from me. I've got to continually tell myself. That's why the Bible's here, to keep on exhorting us, keep on teaching us, keep on showing us the way that we should live. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And this last scripture I want to say, Romans 13, 14, it says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. So put Jesus Christ on in the morning like you're putting on your clothing. And you're going to wear Jesus Christ today. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Again, don't think about those things. You know, there's so many ways to gratify the desires of the sinful nature in this life. There are just so many things out there vying for our attention. They want us, and they're very appealing. They pull the sin nature in. You've got to say no. Don't even think about how you can let that gratify you and and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, to clothe you, be clothed in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so we must grow up out of worldliness. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. So Paul here is talking to the church in Corinth. And he goes to the church of, or he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he said, I can't address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Participants of the sin nature, not participants of the divine nature. Worldly, mere infants in Christ. Mere infants. Now, the Corinthian church had probably been around for quite a while by this stage, and they were still not very far along. And he says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Instead, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among, among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? So he was, he was you know, rebuking them. Because they had never grown up. They had never become the Christians that he was expecting them to be. Participants of the divine nature. Do you know, when I read that, I, I take that on and I say that to myself. You know, that's Paul rebuking me. You know, why do I let myself get so worldly? Who among us here doesn't get, let themselves get worldly? 
You know what I mean? Oh, we've got to be active participants of the divine nature. Here Paul exposes that these believers are not walking in the divine nature. All right, so Galatians 5, if we can go down to 16, and Paul says this, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit at all times, the sin nature will will not have a hold on us, will not have a grip on us. So what we can infer from that is people or Christians who live by the sinful nature don't have the Spirit. They're not living by the Spirit. The Spirit's departed and, and they still think that they have the Spirit. I would dare say that a good portion of the Christian church today in the West, the Spirit has, doesn't even speak to most of those Christians. And the reason I can say that is, is because we are seeing the biggest decline of spirituality and, and holiness and godliness in the church, in the history of the church. It's really going down the tubes quick. Because people are living with a license to sin. They think they, because we've been saved by grace, we can do what we want. You know? So for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit... Did you hear that? The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict. They're having a battle. There's a battle waging within every single one of us, and it's between the sin nature and the spirit of God. Who's winning in our life? We've got to know. Who's winning? Is the spirit winning, or is our sin nature winning? They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. See? It's not license to do whatever you want. It's a license to do what the Lord wants, to do his will. Remember Jesus, those that depart from Jesus, that he sends off into the everlasting fire who called themselves Christians. He said, because you did not do the will of the Father. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. We all know what they are. Sexual immorality. Now, that includes homosexuality. It includes sex before marriage. It includes uh, adultery. It includes a whole range of things. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Now, the witchcraft is, is the word that the, this Bible, anyway, uh, took from the Greek word pharmakeia, which means, pharma, well, we used it in our common language in like pharmaceuticals, which is like drugs. Because witches back in, in those days were those that would wick, uh, mix up brew, uh, like a drug brew in their big pots and stuff, and give, give some of that to someone to drink and they would get like high. That'd be uh, you know, something like an LSD sort of thing. And that's the witchcraft that they were using was those pharmaceuticals. So uh, witchcraft is anyone that takes drugs. Are we living in an age where every second person takes drugs? I'm talking, you know, hallucinogenic type drugs or, you know. Um, Hatred is another one. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you. Warn who? The Galatians, the church, the Christians. He warns them, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
How can you say that it's once saved, always saved, and then read that in the scriptures? How can you deceive millions of people in, the, in Christianity today knowing that Paul said, I warn you to a Christian church, if you continue to live like that, you won't go to heaven. How can you believe in once saved, always saved? And people still do it. You know how many people hear me say what I just said then, even though it's in the scriptures, and they'll say, oh no, he's a, he's a, he's a heretic. Once saved, always saved is in the scriptures. But it's not. It's not. It, you, you turn to Jesus, you get your sins are cleansed, you get washed, cleansed, purified, justified before a holy God through Jesus. After that, you have to live out your Christian life to the end to be saved in the sense of if you then return to your former way of life and continue to live like you used to live, you will lose your salvation because Paul says it. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you continue to live like that. Very clear. Very clear. And that's not the only scripture. There's a lot more. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So this is what we've got to participate in. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that we've got to have in our life. Against such things there is no law. See? We're free to do those things. There's no law against those things. And then verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus has, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So if you don't teach your people to crucify the sin nature with all its passions and desires, if I don't crucify them, if you guys don't crucify them, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I believe what I'm, this message right now, the reason I, I chose to go down this line, I was going to do a sermon on prayer today, even though I did a short one. Um, I believed that this coming revival is going to come as a result of a holy church, a church filled with holy, true Christians, a church filled with men and women of God like the apostles of old like the original disciples. Can we attain to that? Can we attain to the quality of the disciple of Paul or of Peter and John? And, you know, Mary, Mary Magdalene, who became an absolute amazing Christian woman, or the mother Mary. I believe we're going to see those kinds of people walking in the church in these last days. So far above the sin nature that you just couldn't imagine how the sin nature could even get a grip on them any longer. Because I believe that's how the early church was. The sin nature couldn't grab them. Even though they would fall in little short, in small ways, you know. Paul and Barnabas had a bit of a dispute, had a bit of a fight, you know. Peter used to remove himself from uh, Gentile believers when in the company of Pharisees and Jews. So, you know, there was little things like that. But overall, though, these guys were holy. These guys were holy. And that's what I believe God's calling us back to. And it comes, revival comes when holy men and women of God begin to pray. 
Not when sin-filled men and women of God begin to pray. So if we want to see God move in our community, we've got to get holy, and then God's going to hear our prayers when we humble ourselves before him, when we fall on our faces before him and say, Lord, you do it. You know, I've cleaned up this vessel. This temple is as clean as I can get it. Okay, who's getting this today? Everyone? Good to see Say no to ungodliness. Titus 2, 11 to 12 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So what does the grace of God teach us? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. That's what the grace of God has promised to do in us, to help us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we've got to pray for the grace of God to do this in us. Amen? Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You will not know what God's will is unless you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, so many Christians have no idea what the will of God is. You know how for many years I had no idea what the will of God was. For me, I, didn't, I couldn't articulate what the will of God was in the Scriptures. I wouldn't be able to... You know, explain if someone said, What's the will of God? I, I, I didn't know how to articulate it. Because we need our minds renewed. We need our minds renewed so that we can discern accurately what the will of God is. Amen. Participating in the divine nature, as we said here, 2 Peter 1 3 to 4, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. See, evil desires corrupts us. We must participate. We must become active participants in the divine nature. And then Peter said this, for this very reason... 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Sounds like that list that I read out before, doesn't it? For if... I want you to take that in on board. For if, what do I say about if? It means it's a condition, it's conditional. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So if we possess them, we won't become ineffective and unproductive. Put up your hand if you at times have felt ineffective and unproductive for Jesus. Yep. I'm not the only one there, that's good. So if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, we won't be unproductive or ineffective. And 2 Peter 1, 9 11 continues, it says, but if anyone does not have these qualities 
all of those qualities that were listed there. He is short-sighted, short-sighted, and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If you don't have them, you've forgotten that you have that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. If you do them. If you don't do them, you will fall and you won't be welcomed into the kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Because there it is again. Back here, can you see that? For if, if you do these things, again, an if is a conditional promise. People forget the if. They leave if out of, out of all their doctrines. It's a condition, and there are so many ifs. I'm going to do a sermon on if, called if, just if. Maybe, maybe elaborate the name a little bit further. If. Refresh our memories. 2 Peter 1, 12 to 13, it says this, so I will always remind you. This is, this is the ending of this same, it's in the same chapter. I will always remind you of these things. What was Paul always reminding them of? What I've just spoken about. See, I have to continually remind every one of us. We've got to be refreshed, you know, because, you know, it only takes a week for us to slip. It can even take a day. could even be this afternoon. You just leave church, go home, put on some corrupt movie, and the next thing you know, uh, the rest of the week, down you go. You know what I mean? Keep that in mind. It doesn't take long. But I, so I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them. So I, I put this scripture here because I felt like this was you guys. Even though you know them, I've, how many times have I preached on this topic? Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So you guys are firmly established in this. Amen? I really do believe I've preached on it enough for you the guys to really be established in it. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. So while he was alive, he would refresh their memories. We need reminding of these things. It's as simple as that. Let us not assume that we automatically and without effort participate in the divine nature. I don't believe we automatically participate in it. I think if we don't get alerted to it, we will just ignore it. Because it is clear that we must choose to walk in it. It's, there's so many, you heard the scriptures that I quoted earlier, we've got to put on Jesus Christ, we've got to walk in the Spirit, we've got to um, ask the Spirit to fill us, we've got to die daily, we've got to nail our sins to the cross every single day, we've got to resist the sin nature every day. These things must be an active part of every single Christian's life. And 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 18, this bit of scripture that's in the New Testament is a quote from Isaiah 52, 11 and Ezekiel 20, 34 and 41. It's also from 2 Samuel 7, 14 to 7, 8. And it says this, therefore come out from them and be separate. So we're told to be separate. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. See, if we touch no unclean thing, Jesus will receive us. He says, I will be a father to you and, I, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
2 Corinthians 7 1 says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit. Let us purify ourselves. And I love this. I love this word perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. We've got to perfect holiness. Do you feel you've perfected holiness? We must. The Bible calls us to perfect holiness. You know, when you try to perfect something, it means that usually there's a whole range of things that you've got to stop doing so that you can do the thing you're meant to do. You know, uh, I know just um, watching my daughter learning tennis, for her to learn the proper tennis stroke, she had to stop doing all these wrong moves that were causing the stroke not to work properly. So she had to abandon things to take on the correct, the correct, the correct technique. In holiness, it's even more elaborate than just learning a simple technique of a swing. We've got to abandon all these things that we participate in so that we only participate in the things that God wants us to participate in. And you know what? How much you will feel so much better in your life if that's all you participate in. You'll have the best possible Christian life if that's all you focus your energies on, is perfecting holiness out of reverence for Christ. Your life, you, you know, everyone else will be who indulging in sin and then they, you know, you meet with them and they're telling you how depressed they are and the struggles they're having and all this stuff and you're just perfecting holiness and you'll be looking at them like, if you do only let go of all that stuff, you'll see it so clearly. If you could only let go of all that stuff you get involved in, you won't have to suffer like you're suffering. It's like going up to an AIDS victim, someone who's got AIDS and they're going, I wish someone would come up with a cure for this. And you say, well, they have. Don't become a homosexual. Don't get into homosexual relationships. And you won't catch AIDS. There's the cure. But it's too late once you've got it. They can't find a cure for it. You know? If you don't do these things, you don't suffer the results of doing it. If you get involved in sin, the further along you get, the worse things get. That's why, you know, I know in America, I think it's been 70 million uh, babies have been aborted in America. It's a phenomenal holocaust that's happened in America. I don't know the statistics for Australia, but I, I, I dare say that we would have a, an incredible amount of abortions taking place. And do you know what? That innocent murder of babies could be averted by girls and guys that don't involve themselves in sex before marriage. Because if they go and involve themselves in that, they end up getting a baby in here. And then when that girl goes and takes that baby out of her belly and kills it, do you know it leaves so many girls mentally scarred for life? Like, just they never get over it completely. Because they know their son or daughter was in their belly. And they killed it. They tore it apart, ripped it out of their stomach. And that woman has to suffer the consequences of knowing that she murdered her own child for the rest of her life. And some women, it, it really, really, really stuffs them up. You know? And all could be averted. Don't involve yourself in that sin. Don't involve yourself in that sin. God is calling us to be pure. Holy, unadulterated, divine bride of Christ. But we must participate in this call. We've got to participate. 
You know, that's the call today. Are you willing to participate yourself in this? Are you willing to reject the sinful nature, the worldly nature, and participate in what Jesus has for you? Are you prepared, or are we prepared, to nail our sin nature to the cross and walk in holiness? Because in Galatians 5.24 it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. If we truly belong to Jesus, we've crucified the sin nature. It shouldn't be pulling us anymore. Or if it does, because it's crucified, we can resist it easier. In, in the book of 1 John, John's very, very clear. Those who are saved, those who are in Jesus Christ, will not sin. Do not sin. And he says it that hard. He says, you, you, because the Bible says, um, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without walking uh, and resisting the sin nature, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Bible's very clear in that. So why he says it that cut and dry is so that when we do sin, we repent. Because without repentance, you can't be clean again. Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of Christians out there that don't repent when they sin. And then they're living in sin. And as long as you've committed the crime, in a sense, before God, that sin stays on you. So you've got to get on your knees. You know, and that's why I always say, I, I, you know, I repent every day. Because there's things I do through every single day that causes me to get on my knees and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for the way I've been. Help me not to be like that anymore. And uh, this is the last bit. Are we prepared to put off our worldly, sinful, corrupted nature and become the clean, pure, spotless creatures Jesus died to make us? Are we prepared? Are we prepared? Lord, I just pray that you would uh, help us. Help us as a church. Help us as a church to get this uh, really settled in our lives so that we can start to become that pure, holy, un unadulterated, spotless bride that you died to, to make us, Lord. And may we not uh, uh, strive for anything but this. May we become participants of your divine nature, perfecting holiness out of reverence for Christ. Help us, Lord, to be those people, to be those Christians that you can listen to when we pray and say, yes, I will give you what you ask in my name. And Lord, because we know your word says clearly that you will give us anything we ask in your name, but you will only give it to those who are walking in that divine nature. Because only those walking in the divine nature know what to ask God, and without walking in that nature, we don't understand or know the will of God. So help us, Lord. And I believe this is the missing link in, in answering or getting answered prayer is being holy, being humble before you. So help us, Lord, to uh, clean up our act, perfect and perfect holiness, and help us to aim to perfect it every single day and may it become the thing that we strive most for in our life on a day-to-day -day basis. And I pray this in your wonderful name. And bless, bless the uh, uh, fellowship that we have now and bless the uh, weeks that we all head into and may we have wonderful and marvellous weeks in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. 
If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.